In this episode of the Raised with Jesus podcast, we have our sermon from this past Sunday talking about reasons to hate Jesus. And the reason that we see is that he forgives. Be sure to check out the show notes afterward for the sermon discussion guide. Here goes. Dear fellow redeemed, we consider our gospel reading from Mark chapter 2 um, with some other applications um, today. And if you're following along in your handout today, we've got the notes page, if you are so inclined. And then the flip side from that, which would be page 11, uh, we also have a take-home discussion guide. So there's this guy on a mat. And the question is floating out there for all to see. The the same question that the disciples ask in John chapter 9, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they knew enough to ask the question, arrogant and wrong as it was, is a question that got to the heart of the matter. Lord, who sinned? It was a question that got to this man's reality. He is paralyzed from the neck down, as far as we can tell. Maybe only from the waist down, but he certainly can't take care of himself each and every day. And this is his reality now. Chances are it was some sort of an accident of some sort. We don't know all the details. We don't know very many at all. All we know is the way Mark describes him, that he has these friends. These friends who have been there for him from day one of this new life. These friends who perhaps carry him out on the nice days so that he can sit on the roadside in the sun as the people walk by. These friends who who listened in the days and weeks after the accident as he tried to describe the the looks that he got from people or even worse, the non-looks, the shushing of the children and averting your eyes and the mother saying, don't say anything. He has these friends who prepare his food for him. These friends, maybe even some family members as well, who make sure that he gets cleaned up and that he gets shifted around so that the sores don't get too bad because, you know, once infection sets in, that's a whole new ballgame. And they don't have penicillin yet, not for another, what, 1,900 years. He has these friends, but he needs more. Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Lord, who sinned? this man, and what did he do that he is now paralyzed? It's a question that each of us wonders in the back of of our minds. It's a question that Asaph had taken up in Psalm 73. Most broadly, that question of why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to anybody? And the answer of, well, it's a sinful world, seems, seems so trite and so short. But these friends know better. You have to imagine that day when the crowds have heard that Jesus has come home to Capernaum, home, this place where Nazareth, nearby Nazareth, had rejected him, the place where he had grown up, had wanted to throw him off the cliff. But now Capernaum was his home. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had healed late into the night as everybody brought their sick and demon-possessed And the friends hear, hey, Jesus is back. 
Jesus is back in town. We need to bring you there because he can make this all better. And the man shakes his head. I'm not so sure. But the friends take him anyway. The friends take him anyway, and as they're getting closer to the house, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. They don't have any handicapped parking out front. They don't have a ramp that they could wheel a chair in. Um, the crowd has packed into the house, and they are spilling out, and there is no way to get close to Jesus, and no one is having any pity on this man because their mindset, from what we see in the Gospels, their mindset is basically the same as what the Hindu people call karma. That if something bad happens to you, you did something to deserve it. And if something good happens to you, you did something to deserve that. But far be it from me to contaminate myself by reaching out to help you, unless it's going to give me a boost. Because if I reach out and I help you, then, then maybe that means karma will come around for me, and I'll have a turn of fate that will make my life better but I'm just as justified to look the other way, walk the other way, because you did that, and you deserve it. And this man sees the crowds spilling out of the house. And, and I can only imagine him shaking his head, not now, not today. And where I'm kind of getting that is Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The they that Mark had been talking about for the first four verses was the four guys carrying the map. And the impression that I get is that this, this guy in the mat doesn't know Jesus, that he's an unbeliever, that maybe the, the pain of life had gotten so heavy that he had given up and said, you know what, this doesn't make sense, and this isn't, this isn't the faith for me, because look at what happened. And they get closer to the house, and the man shakes his head, no, I can't. Not today, there's too many people. They pause and readjust him on the mat, and make sure that he's feeling comfortable. And it's heartbreaking. Here's this crowd. And Jesus is inside, and they can't get to him. The man says, I don't know what he's really going to do for me. Let's, let's turn around and go back home. Not now, not today, and I'm feeling kind of hungry. And the friends say no. And the man shakes his head and maybe even you know, has a lump in his throat. But look at all these people. They know me, and they've walked past me. They've ignored me. And the friends, they've dealt with his discussions before. And they shake their head and they say, well, we'll find a way. Just wait, wait, just wait. You have to meet Jesus. We'll get you there. And they go up on the roof. And the roof isn't like ours, um, like asphalt shingles and that sort of a thing. It's, it's like timbers with branches and then dirt piled on top. And uh, with, with enough of a, a flooring there, maybe some branches on top, you could have a nice little patio set up there in the summertime. And they start digging, you know, dirt under the fingernails and dirt falling through the ceiling as Jesus is teaching. And the man says, oh man, no. <laughs> but they, they dig, dig anyway. anyway. And they, they lower, lower him down, down right, right in, in front, front of, of Jesus. Jesus. 
How long has he been on that app? How many people have, have walked by maybe with a, a few pity dollars? How many people have, have hurried by on the other side, looked away? How many people have been angry and said, I don't want to contaminate myself because you must have done something. Lord, what did this man do that he was born blind? Lord, what did this man do that this happened to him? How many of the experts in the law had walked by and passed by on the other side? And he's been here for, for years. His reality is something that nobody else knows by experience. The frustration, the constant up and down, the needing to accept his situation because he can't change it. And now he's finally in front of Jesus, his friends staring down from the roof up above, and he's the only one down there, and they said Jesus could fix this. And Jesus looks at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Not what he wanted to hear. Not what the experts in the law wanted to hear, the ones who have been sitting there and listening the whole time, the ones who have been waiting for some way to pin Jesus to the wall, more precisely, to pin Jesus to a cross. Who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. Surely he can't. That's blasphemy. And they hate him for it. Why is he leading this crowd astray? Who can forgive sins except God alone? And the man on the mat, who knows his own personal suffering far more deeply and far more um, thoroughly than anyone else could or ever would, if he could throw up his hands or roll his eyes, that's it. That's it. All this walk here, down through a roof, who in the world does that? And you tell me my sin is forgiven. And now I have to be raised back up, and the people are going to be talking, and then I have to get home because it's almost time for lunch again. And they're going to lay me by the side of the road and say, all right, here you go. Have a nice life. Your sin is forgiven. And you and me. Maybe you felt that little bit of, of anger rising in the back of your mind. Yeah, I get it. This man has, has been dealing with his own personal trouble for a very long time. And all Jesus has to say is, son, your sins are forgiven. Of all the things that Jesus could do from making, making bread, raising the dead, healing the sick, driving out demons, and this is what he leads with, why? When he could say, son, your sins are forgiven, and, by the way, you can walk. And Jesus addresses, first of all, the chief priests and those experts in the law. He says, well, if you understood who I am, you wouldn't be contesting this forgiveness of sins. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, your get up take your stretcher and go home. And this is what the man wants. This is what the crowd rejoices at. And it's first of all, first of all, a statement to those experts in the law that if it's blasphemy to forgive sin, 
then surely it must be greater blasphemy to tell somebody they can get up and walk. But then Jesus does it. And therefore, since he can heal somebody, surely he must be God. That's the easy one. And they hate him for it. The more difficult one is this man who's been, who's been dealing with karma. Lord, what did I do? This man who's been dealing with his own personal, his own personal pain. And Jesus had said to him, first, your sin is forgiven. Then, get up, take your mat, and go home. Proving that the forgiveness of sins is greater than any blessing we could have in this world. Simple enough. But what about that third option? You and me, seeing this, this, um, seeing this man who is on mat, and all Jesus has to say to him at first is, Son, your sin is forgiven. And we know the right answer. We know the right answer that, yes, of course, we treasure the forgiveness of sins. Yes, of course. The forgiveness of sins is greater than any other blessing, and as hard as it may be to accept, um, I believe that, and I, and I trust Jesus in that. But in everyday life, when we want Jesus to fix our problem now, and we don't like the idea of pain or suffering, but it's still there. The forgiveness of sins fades into the background. Well, I know I have that. Jesus rose from the dead, but... I still deal with pain and heartache. We treasure the forgiveness of sins, and we know that's the right answer when we look at this reading, but compared to, compared to the options of, of maybe cutting some of the screen time out of our lives in order to spend more Savior time in our lives. Compared with the options of wallowing in our own self-pity or calling a Christian friend that we haven't heard from in a while. Compared with the options of chasing our own relaxation, our own downtime, and our own convenience, it's a little bit more difficult. That, yes, we know the right answer of, I treasure the forgiveness of sins, but looking at the way we dole out our 168 hours a week and the priorities of it. What's the real answer? We stand there with the Pharisees saying, Jesus, surely you cannot have such control over my life. Who are you? I understand you're God, and I get all that, but I've got my life to live here, and I've got my, my I've put in my, my 60 or 70 years of 60 or 70 hours, and now I need my time. We sit there with the man on the mat, and we recognize, Lord, I've put in the time, I've put in the effort, and I deserve better than this. But why can't I just take a few more minutes, and, um, and I'll, I'll get to spending time with you and rejoicing the forgiveness of sins. I'll, I'll get to dusting off my Bible one of these years. Lord, you have the power to fix every problem in my life. And yet, you don't. And I get that I'm forgiven, but isn't there something more? 
exactly what Jesus echoed in the other reading at the top of page 6. If anyone would come after me, he must daily take up his cross and follow me. That you and I live in a world of sin and death and pain, and as a specific result of that, each of us has to deal with sin and death and pain, but then even more precisely, as a Christian, you have to deal with more. Period. As a Christian, you have to deal with more sin and death and pain because your conscience has been sharpened by the word of God, because the devil wants to tempt you to direct your eyes away from the objective external word of God. You have to deal with more sin and death and pain because each day isn't just going through the routine, but it's daily dying to what I want to do, daily dying in my sinful flesh and drowning that old Adam, exactly as we talked about in that fourth part of holy baptism, drowning that old Adam in the daily battle against sin that a non-Christian knows nothing about. And then layering on top of that, Layering on top of that, this, this mindset of, of the man on the mat, that I get what I've got because I've put in the time, I've sacrificed as a Christian, and if my neighbor, my friend, that acquaintance is suffering in whatever, whatever circumstance they have, they've brought it on themselves. They've brought it on themselves by inverting the natural order of life. Of they brought it on themselves by their own sin. They brought it on themselves by dabbling in this or that activity, illegal or legal, moral or immoral. And it's their fault. And not that we would say it, but it's the same boat standing there, sitting there, and shaking, shaking our fist. You know, I hate Jesus for his forgiveness. Because he, forgiving me, brings with it the reality that if we would follow after him, we must daily take up our cross and follow him. The forgiveness is complete. That righteousness has been given. But the holiness as you live your life, and as you push back in patient endurance against the sin and death and pain of this world, and as you deal with the specific temptation as a Christian, as you strive each and every day to prioritize Jesus and to treasure the forgiveness of sins, even though it's not something we can see and handle and touch, that's the struggle that you're called to in holy baptism. That's the struggle that Jesus calls you to every day. Even that, that internal struggle, when we see our lives, and Satan tempts us to think either, either I deserve more downtime because it hasn't turned out the way that I want, or, on the other hand, that maybe my God has forgotten me because if he remembered me, my life wouldn't look like this. And Jesus sweeps all that away with a word of forgiveness. He says, dear friend, dear friend, son, Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Your misplaced priorities are forgiven. Your sense of not wanting Jesus to be Lord over your life in this world is forgiven. Your sense of karma 
that, that you've done the right thing and therefore God owes you something. And if somebody, somebody hasn't done the right thing, well, I don't have any obligation to share Jesus with them. That is forgiven. That sense of anger that if Jesus can forgive sins, then surely he should fix my problem too. That sense of anger as well. Forgiven. Because we see the, the, hu, the hubris, hubris, however you pronounce it, the arrogance of the sinful flesh that gets so upset at the crosses we bear, but treats lightly the idea that the Prince of Glory carried a far greater cross for your forgiveness and mine. And he has. So that you can say with absolute confidence that my sin is forgiven, that I have been declared righteous. Even though you and I know the, the, the fact on a daily, day-to-day basis that, that righteousness doesn't look like a whole lot. Because on a day-to-day basis, it's the daily struggle of recommitting ourselves to the, the struggle. The daily struggle of carrying the cross. But that is God's good work within you. That yes, he does allow suffering in your life and mine. And he turns it into a blessing. And not even always in a way that we tangibly see, even right now, even for the rest of your life here on earth, there is no promise from God that you will see how he used the pain of your life to be a blessing for you, but you have his word on it. You talk about the tangible blessing of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus makes it tangible today. When in competition with everything else that is so much more vivid, so much more tangible than what we can see and taste and count and manage. Jesus gives you his forgiveness again. He says, take and eat, take and drink. And we are called along into that crowd where Jesus turned his attention from the man on the mat to the people in the crowd. And where Jesus said to them too, your sin is forgiven, that you've been set free that you've been declared righteous. So now take up your cross. Whatever sacrifice it might be that would communicate in your own heart and in your own life, whatever sacrifice it might be to communicate in your own heart and life that you treasure forgiveness, take it out. Maybe it is, you know, grabbing one of those copies of meditations on your way out. Maybe it is dusting off your communion or your confirmation Bible. Maybe it is, as many of you here today, getting up and coming to worship. Maybe it is tuning into our daily podcast. Any of those things. Maybe it is just asking your children um, and talking about the readings on your way home from church today. What did you hear? What did you learn? Why? Not because our effort adds to our forgiveness, but our words can continue to communicate that forgiveness. And our actions can continue to to talk about that forgiveness by what we do. So that even, and yes, especially when life gets more difficult, in all of its ups and downs, when life does get more difficult, you've been trained. And you've disciplined yourself to say, yes, I know that my Lord will say your sin is forgiven. 
and what a great and tremendous blessing that is. I know that my Lord has promised me everything, and above all, the fact that his righteousness covers me. I know that my Lord sees the pain that I carry personally and privately. He sees the pain that I deal with individually and even as a group. But above all, I know that my Lord wants to communicate forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, my Lord will use me like one of those four men carrying a stretcher. My Lord will use me as he builds me up, builds our family up, builds the families of our congregation, that we together might carry the stretcher for somebody else. Maybe it's somebody who is suffering. Maybe it's somebody who doesn't know Jesus. But carry the stretcher for somebody else who needs to know what we treasure the most. Son, daughter, your sin is forgiven. Amen. Amen.